Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. Remember in John chapter 4, Jesus said that the kind of worshipers the Father seeks are those who worship Him in spirit and truth. And that's what we're trying to do in this podcast. We're trying to worship God by His Holy Spirit, in His Holy Spirit, by His truth, in His truth. And that means using Scripture as our basis for worship and prayer, praying Scripture back to God. There is a kind of power there. The Holy Spirit uses, when the Holy Spirit uses His Word, God's Word, in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, to reawaken us. I think there's a power when we use the Psalms to pray. Other scriptures are great too, but the Psalms were actually written as prayers, as the words that God's people can use to worship God. And that is particularly true in Psalm 113. Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 have been used by God's people, by the Jews for thousands of years during Passover. It's very likely, it would be odd if it didn't happen, that this was the hymn that it says Jesus sang with his disciples in Matthew 26, verse 30. It says that after they had had the Passover meal, Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives, and that's where Jesus was arrested, eventually crucified. So it's likely that this psalm, what we're reading now, anywhere between here and Psalm 118, was a psalm that Jesus sang before he was crucified, maybe the last psalm he ever read. And this psalm in particular, it's only nine verses, but it really focuses, I think, on the kind of things that teach us what praise is, what worship is, how do we worship God in spirit and truth. What do we say? What are we supposed to say? What do you say when you want to pray? What do you say when you want to praise God? When you want to worship God in spirit and truth, what do you say? Well, that's what we've been talking about in all these episodes, 150-something episodes of this podcast so far. We've been talking about places in Scripture you can go to to pray. We've been talking about it. In this psalm here, it opens up with that phrase we've been looking at, it says, praise the Lord in English, and that is the Hebrew word, hallelujah. So you may have driven by, oh, maybe a synagogue and seen the phrase hallel or some uh, Jewish literature, and you see that phrase hallel. That's the Hebrew word for praise. So hallelujah is either praise be as a participle or let us praise, and then yah is short for Yahweh, praise be Yahweh. And when you think about that word, you know, we say it all the time, hallelujah, when something good happens. And we have to be careful because, I mean, you know, taking the Lord's name in vain is not something I intended to talk about in this podcast episode. But there is a sense in which we want to keep that word in our mind, meaning what it is. And that is, praise be Yahweh. I praise the I am. Praise he is, which is what Yahweh meant in the ancient Hebrew. It's the ancient Hebrew verb for the third person form of I am. He is. Praise he is. 
That's his name. And so in this psalm, and I talk about this a lot, and you might be thinking, why does Dave talk so much about God's name, Yahweh, and the I am, and he is, and all that? And that's because the psalms are always doing that. Every time you see Lord in all capital, L-O-R-D, that's God's name, Yahweh. And we don't want to ignore that. We want to acknowledge that. It's there for a reason. And in particular, this psalm wants us to notice that. And so I'm going to notice what the psalm is trying to get us to notice. Let me read the first verse. It says, Hallelujah. So praise Yahweh. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise, O servants of Yahweh. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of Yahweh. And then verse 2, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. From this time forth and forever, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of Yahweh is to be praised. So what this psalm is emphasizing by saying the name, three times it says the name, the name, the name. When the Bible repeats something three times close together, like holy, 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 it's really wanting to emphasize the exaltedness of God, the exaltedness of this attribute of God, in this sense, the exaltedness of God's name. And in these verses in this psalm, these nine verses, the name Yahweh appears eight times, if you include the hallelujah as a, as a time that Yahweh appears. It, in these nine verses, God's name appears eight times. And so it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that the psalmist, one of the ways it's wanting us to praise God, one of the ways that the Holy Spirit, as he is writing scripture for us to praise him, to worship him through, is wanting to emphasize God's name, the I am. God's name, Yahweh, he is. Praise the name of Yahweh. Praise the name of he is. Blessed be the name of he is. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of he is is to be praised. That idea of the rising of the sun to its setting obviously is poetic. It's meant to emphasize that everywhere is God's dominion. All the earth. And I think it's, in some sense, talking about the future kingdom of God that will be all the earth, everywhere on earth, from the rising of the sun to its setting. You know, we've always said this phrase, well, at least I, not maybe we, but the phrase was said, the sun never sets on the British flag was something true of the British Empire. And I think that comes from the idea of this psalm, that the, the sun never sets on God's kingdom. And that will be true when Christ returns. And from the rising of the sun to its setting, everywhere on the earth, the name of Yahweh is to be praised because everything owes its existence to him. God is the creator of everything. The I am is the source of all the existence of everything and the giver of the life of everything that lives. And he inhabits eternity and he is 100% present everywhere. The name of the I am, the name of Yahweh is to be praised. Think about the word praise. In some sense, we think of praise, maybe lifting up our hands. We do it when our football team scores a touchdown, our favorite baseball team hits a home run. We raise our hands because that is a human response to something that is giving you joy, giving you something to be joyful, to praise. And like C.S. Lewis says, it's the act of praise that is part of the enjoyment. 
Part of the enjoyment of the home run is high-fiving each other. Part of the enjoyment of the touchdown is raising our hands and jumping up and down together. Not by ourselves so much, but it's a community kind of thing. Of course, if we do it by ourselves, that's fine. But when we're by ourselves listening or reading the scriptures, sometimes it's good, especially by ourselves, because we might be less inhibited, but we can raise our hands as we praise God. That's what I do. In fact, to be honest with you, when I do this podcast, a lot of times when I'm praising God in this podcast, I'm raising my hands toward heaven because I'm praising, I'm I'm giving my joyful adoration to the I am. Let the name of God, the name of he is be praised. And I'm thinking about his name and the infinite nature of who God is, that he is the God that created this entire universe and yet he's the God that's 100% with me. And that's what this psalm exactly is talking about. God is inescapable. He is the I am. He is always in the present tense. He has always been. Nothing caused him to be existence. He is existence, and he will always be. He's inescapable from the rising of the sun to its setting, anywhere in the universe, at any time period. There's God reigning. There's the I am. Now think about that for a minute, that your life is always in the presence of the I am, always in the presence of he is. He is always 100% in the present tense with you. He is inescapable, and he always will be inescapable. There's One of the things C.S. Lewis says that always kind of really bothered him as an atheist was that if God is real, if Christianity is true, and he was this is when he was starting to believe that it just might be, what terrified him was that there was no door to the universe marked exit. There's no way to exit God's universe. We always have to deal with him because he is always 100% present. There never will be a time when he's not. But when the Holy Spirit gives us psalms like this to praise Yahweh, to bless the name of Yahweh, God doesn't need our praise. So when Jesus says the kind of worshipers the Father seeks are those who worship him in spirit and truth, it's not that the Father needs those kinds of worshipers. It's that the Father created us so that we could enjoy him. It's the enjoyment that comes from praise. Like I said, raising our hands, high-fiving if we score a touchdown and get a home run, see a fireworks display, ooh, ah. It's the, it's the praise of it that is part of the enjoyment. And so when God commands us to praise him, he is commanding us to enjoy him. That's what C.S. Lewis said, and I think he's exactly right. He's, in a sense, inviting us into this transcendent, glorious existence rather than having our head down and looking at our feet in a world that has no purpose or direction except what pleases us like an animal. We lift our heads and we look at the transcendent God who is always and we praise him and all of a sudden our existence is raised to this transcendent, glorious, dignified beautiful existence of worshiping the I am who is with us and who is giving us himself so that we can enjoy him through praise. So verse four says, Yahweh, the Lord is high above the nations and his glory above the heavens. 
This is not telling us something we don't know. It's giving us something to remember as we praise that God is the I am who transcends the universe itself. He created the universe and his glory is above beyond the universe itself. Think about the glory of this universe, the glory of galaxies and the incredible incomprehensible physics of this universe. I mean, we don't even know the tip of the iceberg when it comes to quantum physics, things that we know about that we don't know. Imagine what we don't know we don't know. And yet God is the God who created all this and transcends all this. And his glory is above the universe. The universe is a display of his glory. It's a display of his transcendence. So verse 5, who is like Yahweh, our God, who is seated on high? Verse 6, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. So God, this is poetry. God condescends himself to look upon the universe. The universe to us is unimaginably vast, and God has to lower himself to see it. That's poetic. It's an image that's supposed to help us understand someone we can't really understand, and that's Yahweh. But it gives us an analogy. Here's something that you can't understand about God. I mean, here's something you can understand about the ununderstandable God. Who is like, it says in verse 5, who is like Yahweh our God? There's nothing to compare with him except, let me give you an image, that God has to stoop down and who looks far down on the universe and the earth to see it. That's the greatness of God, the vastness of God, the glory of God, the transcendence of God. Who is like the I am, our God, it says. Whenever the Bible talks about our God, that's meant to give us this sense of security. Whenever God says, I will be their God and they will be my people, that's his covenant promise. That's meant to say, look, you belong to me. You're part of belonging to my whole unimaginable, transcendent, glorious purpose, protection, provision, presence. I am your God. You don't have to worry. I am your God. Your life has significance. I am your God. You have a future and a hope, a plan that I have for you that is beyond your imagination. I am your God, and you don't have to live for yourself. You don't have to take life into your own hands. I am your God. You don't have to panic and follow the wicked. I am your God. You can rest and trust in me. Who is like Yahweh? Who is like the I am, our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? And then verse 7 says, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Now, one of the things that we look at when we look at the Psalms, the poetry is not in rhyming. The poetry is in parallelism. And so it's saying the same things differently. So these phrases use synonyms in each part of the phrase. Let's read it again. He raises the poor from the dust. That's the first line. The second line, and lifts the needy from the ash heap. That's saying the same thing, and the reason I'm saying all this is to show that God meets us in our need, in our poverty. Whatever poverty we have in our lives, poverty relationally, poverty economically, poverty when it comes to just anything that we're lacking, God meets us in our need. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. So while God is transcendent, 
above the universe. He is never remote. We never want to mistake transcendence for being remote. God is both transcendent and he is near, right where I am. Each individual he lifts from the ash heap. Verse 8, to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. Always the Bible's coming back to this idea that the great reversal in the kingdom of God is God takes broken people and gives them the dignity of his image as royalty, princesses and princes, priests, a kingdom of priests and kings and queens, princesses, that God has this plan that we are going to reign with him, it says in the last book of the Bible, forever and ever, we shall reign with him over his creation. God has this incredibly dignified purpose for you. Even now in your poverty, whatever poverty that is, even now in your neediness, whatever neediness that is, whatever dust you're sitting in, whatever ash heap you feel like has just engulfed your life, God is stooping down and he is going to meet you there. He is the I am and he's going to reverse this and cause you to sit among his princes and princesses, among his people. This is the great reversal of the kingdom of God. This is the resurrection. This is when Jesus returns and we shall reign with him for forever. There's that word forever. And that word we see in this Psalm forevermore in verse two, and just the very name of God being a God that inhabits eternity, the forever story of anyone whose God is Yahweh. Once God is your God, your story is forever, eternal. This is the same kind of language when Jesus says in Matthew 10, we looked at it in the last episode, Matthew 10, 30, that God knows the very hairs of our head. He's aware of everything that happens, even a sparrow that falls to the ground, Jesus says, doesn't ever fall to the ground apart from the will of your heavenly father, and you're more valuable than sparrows. God knows the very hairs of your head. He cares for every detail of your life. So while he is transcendent above the universe, he is infinitely present in your life, all the way to watching the hairs of your head. Everything that happens in your life is being watched by God. And Jesus's point is that nothing happens in your life outside the care of your heavenly father. So when we use this psalm to worship God, we're emphasizing God's name, the I am, and all that that means, the source of all existence, the giver of all life, the giver of my life, and the one who inhabits eternity. There's never a time when God has not been, there never will be a time when God will not be. He is inescapable, and he is always in the present tense, always inescapable, always everywhere. And he has this eternal purpose for his people, because he has committed himself to be our God. The God that created this universe is going to sit us among his family as princes and princesses, people who are children of the universe, this explosive universe that God has created. He is bringing us into this transcendent story, this transcendent beauty, this transcendent glory, but it's not remote transcendence. It's imminent transcendence. It's right here, intimate transcendence. God is right here present with me, transcendently, gloriously, beautifully, radiantly, majestically present and intimate, intimately present with me. He cares about the very 
details of my life down to the very hairs of my head. And I'm sure in Jesus's day, that was the smallest thing they can think of. We would say down to our very DNA, and that would be still true. It's cool to think that Jesus sang this song, that Passover meal, that last night before he was crucified. These truths that we read in this psalm were on his lips. When Paul the Apostle says in Philippians 2.6, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus did that. Yahweh did that. The I am of the universe stooped down. The God who created this universe lowered himself to become a man, to become a human being forever, to become one who suffered so that he could die on a cross and bring us in to his story, bring you into his family. Please don't miss what this is saying. God cares so much about you that Jesus, God became human in the person of Jesus, lowered himself, the God that created his this universe, made himself nothing, it says, and did that so that he could become obedient, so that he could humble himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it says in the next verse, verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. This is this story that your life is in. The ashes and the dust that your life is in now will become a, a time of royalty where you're a prince and a princess for the rising of the sun, where it sets, it will never set on God's kingdom. You'll be brought into this incredible story because God cares about you so much that he became human to die for you and rise for you so that he could break through the other side of death for you and give you a resurrection into his kingdom so that Yahweh can be your God forever. The I am as your God forever. And when we don't trust him, that means we're trusting something else more. We're trusting another message more, another story more, another promise more. We have to think of it that way. Sometimes we don't think of it right. We have to understand that when we're not obeying his word, trusting his word to be true for us, trusting his will to be the best for us, we're trusting something else instead. But we really don't want to do that. I don't think anybody listening to this podcast wants to do that. We just do it by default. But I think when we take time to praise God through these Psalms, the Holy Spirit has given us, it strengthens our heart to remember that he is our God and we are his people in this incredible story. And so we pray, hallelujah, praise Yahweh, praise the I am, praise he is. I praise you, I am. I praise you, he is. Because you are great. You are forever the God who has always existed. And you are forever the God who always exists. There is never a time when you are not. And you are inescapable. And you are transcendent above the universe. And you are always intimately present in my life right now. I worship you. I praise you. I bless your name, Yahweh. 
Your glory is above the universe. Your glory is in the universe. Your glory is all throughout the earth. And your glory is above the earth and above the universe. You transcend your universe that you created because you are the I am. You are the source of all that exists. And you are the giver of all life. And you have given me my life. And you hold my molecules together even now. Because you want me to exist in your universe. You have a story for my life that's forever. And that's why you call yourself, you commit yourself. You've made a covenant of commitment to me to be my God forever. You are my God forever. I belong to you forever. From this time on and forevermore, I belong to you. And I worship you, I praise you, because that is where joy is. Joy comes from exalting you, from glorying in your glory, basking in your praise, basking in your beauty, in your radiance, in your majesty, in your love, in your trustworthiness, in your intimacy with me, your love for me to become human, to become a servant, to become obedient, to humble yourself, to die on the cross, so that you could be exalted and exalt me with you as a prince. Exalt us with you as princesses and princes in your kingdom. We will reign with you forever and ever. This is your word. This is what you're telling us by your Holy Spirit over and over again. And I believe your word. I trust you. I believe you. I believe you when you speak. You are trustworthy and worthy of my trust and worthy of my love, worthy of my obedience, worthy of my allegiance, worthy of my devotion, worthy of my worship. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.